0: Friends, uh, if you would love to open your Bibles, because last week, if you joined us online, you would have known that we are uh, people who are bringing their Bibles to church so that we can make sure we're following along, we're accountable. We also uh, are learning how to read Scripture well together. And as we do that, I always love to settle myself just by praying a quick prayer. Would you join with me just as we submit this time to God? Gracious God, we, uh, we pray often in the service, but God, it's because we want to talk to you. It's, it's a blessing. It's an honor. And so I pray right now that you would still our hearts. Quiet the noise of our world. Holy Spirit, may your voice be heard. Less of me. More of you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I want to begin today by asking a question. How noisy is your world? How noisy is your world? Noise is an interesting thing. And since the dawn of military activity has actually been used in warfare as a weapon against the enemy. In fact, the biblical narrative tells us that in the book of Exodus, when the armies of Israel marched around the walls of Jericho, they made a great noise of celebration. They cried out, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. But even in recent years, we see the weapon of noise being used in warfare. In World War II in 1942, the Russian army were defending the famous city Stalingrad against the opposing and invading forces of of the German Nazi Party, of the the might of the Nazi army. And as the Nazi army invaded into Stalingrad, the Russians set up these massive speaker systems, and late at night when the German soldiers were trying to sleep, the Russians would blast out Argentinian tango across the the streets of Stalingrad. Now, you might be like, who doesn't love a tango? Probably German soldiers who are trying to sleep late at night. And the purpose of this was to disorient them, to overwhelm them, to distract them, to keep them awake, that they might not have rest. It was an interesting tactic, the use of noise as a weapon. In fact, even a modern example of the Korean conflict, currently uh, North Korea and South Korea are divided um, the country in, uh, in half. So we have two separate nations and there is a demilitarized zone in the middle and, and the no man's land. And often what has happened is that both sides have set up these these subwoofer systems and played music, propaganda. They've they've done these these radio casts out into the opposing nation in the hope of using noise to dishearten, distract, and disorient the other side. Noise can be used as a weapon. How noisy is your world? See, they would use noise primarily for this purpose. The idea was that noise would pollute the mind and senses by causing fatigue, distraction, and disorientation. If you couldn't defeat the opposing army with force, you could distract them, disorient them with noise, and just perhaps they would defeat themselves. And just perhaps they would defeat themselves. I wonder, friends, if this is what's happening in our world. I want to suggest that maybe that this is what is happening to our souls. That there is a certain level of noise in the world around us that is distracting, disorienting, overpowering and oppressing us. And it is affecting who we are becoming. When was the last time... You were still, you were silent, and you just were. I recognize for some of us, thinking of silence is a scary thing, particularly for those who are extroverted. They're like, oh my goodness, who would I talk to? And sometimes that's exactly the point. Because our world could be so filled with the noise, we end up becoming like that which has our attention. Now, we've been talking about this throughout the series, that there is something now called a 24-hour news cycle where you can go onto Sky News, CNN, or some 24-hour news channel and never turn it off because you will continually receive updates about what is happening around the world. If you don't have a TV, you can find one on the internet. You can flick through Instagram or Facebook just to stay Update with the continuing evolving global world and its crisis. There is there is a capacity in each and every one of us that if we ever find ourselves alone, someone else is merely a text, phone call, or email away. Even if they're on the other side of the world, we are more connected than ever. I wonder, friends, if we are also more distracted than ever. Our world is polluted with a level of noise that should concern us. The world is at the touch of our fingertips. Apparently, even moments where we have had times of solitude and silence, we quickly put noise straight into those moments. It said statistically 80% of men and 69% of women take their phones to the toilet with them. That's of most of us, friends. Now, I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm guilty of doing this. We take our phones to the toilet don't touch my phone. You don't know where that sucker's been. In fact, that person who's holding your phone next to you, don't touch their phone. You don't know where they've been. And this should concern us, because as I was sitting there thinking this week, I couldn't come up with one hygienic, socially responsible reason why we're using our phones whilst going to the toilet. This was always meant to be a sacred time of silence and solitude, and now it's filled (laughs) with updates on American politics. Maybe the world wasn't meant to be that way. Maybe, just maybe, something is wrong. Blaise Pascal, a great Christian thinker, says it like this, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly or man and woman's ability to sit quietly in a room alone. Now, I don't think this is scriptural, but I think there's some wisdom to it. Blaise Pascal was a Christian thinker who I think offers us a bit of an insight into perhaps what is going on in our souls. If you can't defeat them with force, overwhelm them, oppress them, distract them, disorient them with noise. And maybe they will defeat themselves. When our world is filled with noise, what ends up happening is the volume button on everything around us gets turned up. And we listen to the loudest voice. And how often is that voice not God? How noisy is your world? When was the last time there was no music? No iPhone, no technology, no watch to receive emails on, no TV to turn on and no one else around. It was just you. Henry Nouwen says, without solitude, it is impossible to have a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously when we do not take the time to set aside and listen to him. Friends, there are some of you here today who it's your first time in church and you're thinking, hang on, wait, what? So I come to church and I'm told to go off and be by myself? This is confusing. I think we can all acknowledge that all of our lives are filled with noise But it's not just external noise. External noise is noise that we hear audibly or or things we're looking at or seeing that are consuming our time. No matter Christian or non-Christian, you would agree that there's not only external noise, friends, but there's internal noise as well. Not just the noise of the radio, but the noise of our hearts. And sometimes when we are alone and everything is turned down, the things we don't want to hear get turned up. And so we escape this just by distracting ourselves. But I believe there's something here for us. You see, we're in a series at the moment called Rhythms. If it's your first time here with us, thank you so much for joining us today. You don't have to believe in Jesus to belong here. We are so encouraged that you came. But we are wildly passionate about this man named Jesus because we believe he wasn't just a man. He was more than a man. He was God himself. And that Jesus lived in such a way where his life seemed to flourish, where he seemed to actually walk in a rhythm that wasn't just surviving every year, but flourishing no matter where he was. And we want to ask the question, what does it look like if in 2021 we didn't just survive, but we flourished? And and last two weeks ago, we talked about the idea that hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. And so in doing that, we were talking about what does it mean to eliminate hurry from our souls? And then on top of that, last week, we spoke about the idea that sometimes things like prayer, going to church, or reading our Bible are seen as religious obligations. And God doesn't want these to be obligations, but duties that He turns into delights, gifts of rhythms of grace that He gives to us that we might become who God always intended us to be. The ancient church and the ancient forefathers and mothers of the church called these rhythms spiritual disciplines. And so today we want to look at one of these disciplines to look at what is the rhythm that might lead us to become someone worth being. And today's rhythm is silence and solitude. Now, I know some of you are like, that's the most unsexy title of a sermon I've ever heard. Silence and solitude. Put this sucker on YouTube. No one's watching it. Maybe that's the case, but perhaps that in itself says something about the Western soul. How noisy is your world? See, friends, to live the life that Jesus lived, we have to learn the walk the way Jesus walked. And you've got to know this, Jesus didn't see silence and solitude as peripheral, but central to his daily rhythm. And it wasn't because he had a lot of time. Jesus was inserted into the midst of political tensions, religious tensions. There were people who were demanding of him. If he went somewhere to be alone, crowds would chase him down. People would knock on his door late at night. The idea of silence and solitude was not because Jesus had time. It's because Jesus learned to make time for who he was called to be and become. And we read this rhythm in Mark chapter 1, verse 9 to 13. At that time, very early in the ministry of Jesus, the book of Mark is one of the second Gospels we find in the New Testament in the Bible. And it kind of tells us about the life and times of Jesus Christ. And it says this, that at that, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, in other Gospels, we know this is John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus. And John has a ministry of baptism where he is offering a ministry of repentance through baptism for all who would wish to turn back to God. Jesus is baptized in this moment to fulfill all righteousness and something beautiful happens. The Bible tells us that God rips apart the heavens and inserts His voice into the story. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, "'You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased.'" Jesus' ministry starts with a holy convocation and an identifying moment when the Father of heaven and earth shouts down to Him, You are my son. In you I am well pleased. Now if everyone else had heard this, you would assume for the next moment would have been the people of Israel hoisting Jesus on their shoulders. This is God's son. Let's go to Jerusalem and tell the Romans to suck it. We're going we're to take the world. That's not what happens. The next moment we read, At once, not in a couple days, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. At once, Jesus is sent out into solitude. In fact, that word wilderness... Um, trans- in Greek it's actually Eremos and can be translated in different ways. And we'll find out it is throughout the book of Mark and other books as well. Eremos is not just about a wilderness in ancient Greek. John Mark Comer points out in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that whenever you see the word Eremos in Greek, it can mean the wilderness, which in our mind is you know wild and, and thorny and bristles and animals and danger. But actually, the fullness of the word kind of means a desert, a deserted place, John Mark Thomas says, a desolate place, a solitary place, a lonely place, or indeed his and my favorite, a quiet place. Jesus gets proclaimed to the Son of God, and then the Holy Spirit pushes him immediately, not into the crowd and the noise, but into the silence, into a quiet place. Instead of stepping into the fullness of the crowds, Jesus retreats. And then there's a confusing moment here where he retreats and he fasts for 40 days. If you've never fasted before, fasting food for 40 days is pretty hard. You don't necessarily feel all that physically strong at the end of a 40-day fast. You're probably a little bit hangry and longing for some carbs. But this is Jesus and he fasts for 40 days. And at that moment, the Bible tells us he goes toe-to-toe with the enemy of humanity, the devil himself. And John Mark Comer raises the question, Why would the hero of our story intentionally isolate himself, weaken himself, and then go toe-to-toe with the enemy of all creation? But then John Mark Comer makes a point that maybe it's because we misunderstand what fasting, what silence, what solitude actually does. He says, the wilderness isn't the place of weakness. Eremos is not the place of weakness. It's the place of strength. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the Eremos, the wilderness, because it was there and only there that Jesus was at the height of His spiritual powers. It was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in the quiet place that He had the capacity to take on the devil Himself and walk away unscathed. Now, in that moment, when I was reading this, I'm like, Oh, hang on, I'm not sure theologically this is correct. It seems to say that Jesus was deficient and then became uh, better because He did something. Was not Jesus God? you have to recognize in Jesus' nature, he is fully man and fully God. And whilst being fully man, he was accessing the divine, but he lay aside his divine power so that he might live the life man could have lived with the fullness of what's available to us right now in perfection so that he might die the death we should have died. And so in this moment, he feels the fullness of what it means to go into silence and solitude as a man And depend on God. This isn't a moment of weakness, friends. This is a moment of strength. Yet how often do we see silence and solitude as a moment of retreat, of vulnerability, of danger, of concern, when it seems that this is the place where Jesus, from the overflow of it, took on the forces of darkness. I want to just suggest there are so many Christians in the world today and maybe in this church who are struggling right now with temptation. With When you are alone, that's when things are the darkest. That's when you become or you think on or meditate or watch or say or think things you don't want to say. And I I want to highlight it is when Jesus was alone that he was prepared to withstand temptation. And I want to suggest as a sidebar for a second But perhaps the reason why being alone is so scary for us is because we don't practice the power of the presence of God. And so it's when we're alone that we're the most vulnerable, when actually God calls it to be the strongest moment of our walk with Him. Friends, how noisy is your world? Jesus sat in the habit of silence and solitude, Not because there was a party of friends and there was all this activity happening there, but it was from this place that he ministered from and to. And we find this rhythm elsewhere as well. It it, it says that in, in the next moment, Jesus goes after having spent time in the desert. He goes and has a full day of ministry. He wakes up and he goes out and John the Baptist actually gets arrested. So his cousin gets arrested he then goes into Jerusalem and, and the surrounding areas of Galilee and, and the Middle East, and and he has to cast out demons. He has to heal. There are these moments where the crowd is oppressing and asking him questions. It says the sun goes down, and there are still moments in from one in Mark chapter one verse thirteen to thirty four where he ministers late into the night. After he's retreated, he's then propelled into a deep place of ministry, and so he spent forty days with God. Then he spends a whole day pouring out his life for God. How would you feel at the end of that moment? I'd feel fatigued. I'd feel weary. How would you respond? What would you need? I'd probably want a cold drink and to binge watch some Netflix. How does Jesus respond? In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it tells us in the very same chapter where he just spent 40 days with, with the Father in heaven, very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to an Eremos place, a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus doesn't go, Well, I just spent 40 days with God, so I probably tanked up for at least six months, and then I'll come back to God when I'm feeling a little bit weaker. He's not, Well, I attended church yesterday morning, so it's Monday. I think I should be good for a week, and then I'll, I'll try to back up when I sit in church next weekend. That's not how he operates. He wakes up in the morning and the pressure of the noise is turned up. So what does he do? He goes to a place where he can turn it down that he may hear the voice of God. This was a rhythm for Christ. This was a daily practice. Whenever he could, you would find Jesus stepping in to the rhythm of being with and silent with God. See, This was a rhythm of choice for Jesus. We read in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 15 to 16, that there's this moment that the book of Luke tells us very similar. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more. What happens? The noise of Jesus' ministry increases. Some of you know what this is like. 2021 started to get busier. And then the next part, so that the crowds of people came to hear Him and be healed of their sickness. We hear that Jesus' demands grow. many of you know exactly what it's like to be demanded of. If you're a parent in this room, you know exactly what it feels like to have your time demanded of you. I've got one child. And I'm like, how on earth do people do it with more than one child? This is crazy. Like you wake up and it's go. And then it's like 7pm and it's like stop. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I could sleep for a week. So if you have more than one child, a medal of honor to you. Some of you don't have children but your pressure doesn't come from who's in your house. It comes from your workplace, your friendship groups, your professional world, your study. And you're like, oh my goodness, I know what it's like to have my life demanded. Just that everything starts to get noisy. It's not necessarily a volume on the radio, but it's the, the noise of our world. So how does Jesus respond when his fame and his schedule gets bigger? But Jesus often withdrew to an Eramos place and prayed. I don't know about you, friends, but when my life gets busy, you want to know what's the first thing to go? God. Oh, because I can't move that meeting and I've got to take that phone call and everyone's that email. Oh, no one will know. Just me and God will know, but we'll be fine because there's grace and He loves me. And then you wind yourself up in a place where you're like, I'm not becoming who I want to be. It's just, I feel frazzled. Jesus' world gets noisier So he doubles down on the rhythms that matter. How noisy is your world today? See, there's a reality now in what's happening in this generation. But I wanted to say in this generation that's younger than many of us, but in all of our worlds. A guy named Carl Newport who wrote a book called Digital Minimalism. He's a non-Christian but phenomenal thinker. And he highlights that there's a new phenomenon coming around in the world today. It's called solitude deprivation. And it's a state in which you spend close to zero time alone with your own thoughts and free from input from other minds. And he's noticing that the next generation, the young adults and teenagers of today, are suffering from solitude deprivation. And because of that, what we're finding, and most psychologists and counselors and psychologists would agree, is a heightened cases of mental health concerns, anxiety, depression, and sadness. And they're identifying it's actually because when they're processing thoughts that are difficult, the next generation doesn't sit with them. They just distract themselves from them. They just flick open the phone and they just look at everyone else's lives or they consume media. And because they're never truly alone, when they are, everything starts to break apart. Now we can be like, oh, the next generation. Friends, this is our generation too. When we run from the inner thoughts of our world and we don't learn how to process them in safe places, what becomes is we actually weaken our emotional and mental resilience. I love how modern psychology is catching up to what the Bible has always known. That solitude and silence isn't a curse, but a gift. That we become fully reconciled people. That we are known and we know ourselves. So that we're not ever blindsided by something that we've been distracted by from a noisy world. How noisy is your world today, friends? See, silence and solitude, I I don't think are necessarily obligations, but they are gifts. So what do we mean when we say silence and solitude? When we're talking about silence, there are two things in our world that we really need to think through silencing. The first one is the external noise. Now, we can identify what that is. It's Netflix, it's the internet, it's people, it's phones, it's kids, it's work, it's emails. And we can identify the external noises, but what's harder is silencing the external noises. When was the last time that you turned off your phone? When was the last time that you were just like, I'm going to take half an hour with no technology, no people, nothing? Many of us would be like, oh, I watched the cricket. No, 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 no. That's, that's noise. When was the last time? And it's so hard, but it becomes so important that we learn to turn. In. Now, some of you are like, Michael, I have four kids. Good luck getting me to turn any of that down. I'm not suggesting you lock them in a room and walk away. That's terrible parenting. Don't do that. But I know for me, Sarah and I have had to work through with our young son, Archer, and I've talked to the other parents in our church, that we've got to work it out. Hey, I, need, I just need half an hour to an hour. And so we're like, okay, I'll take Archer out for a walk and you just have some time. Because as parents, we've got to prioritize this, not just for ourselves, but for each other. Now, for some of us, we recognize that the external world is not the problem. It's the internal world. We turn off the TV, the radio, the phone, and then what happens is what's inside gets Louder. So what do we do? What do we do when that's the problem? Well, friends, I, in my history, many of you know, have struggled with mental health. I have, I have anxious thoughts and sometimes not so happy thoughts as well. And, and sometimes when I'm alone, that's, that's when it's the hardest. But all of my psychologists and counsellor friends and, and Christians who I've spoken to have said, actually, the, the key is learning and practicing being alone with your thoughts so that when you are, it's no longer scary. And, and I've sought Christian professional help. It's been amazing. But each of them have taught practices and abilities that if you are scared of being alone because of what may be going on inside you, the answer isn't distraction. It's to learn healthy practices to process what's happening in our hearts. Silence is turning down the internal and external noise. What does solitude mean? Solitude practically is when we are alone with God and our souls. Alone with God and our souls. This is not solitude. This is community. And it's so important. But sometimes there are things that God wants to do in private that He can't do in public. When was the last time you were alone with your souls? Now there's a distinction I didn't make in the first service. We think that being alone is isolation. Solitude and isolation are two different things. JMC, John Mark says, Solitude is engagement with God. Isolation is escape from everything. Solitude is safety. Isolation is dangerous. Solitude is how you open yourself up to God. Isolation is painting a target on your back for the tempter. Solitude is when you set aside time to feed and water and nourish your soul to let it grow into healthy maturity. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect solitude altogether. Solitude, as somber as it sounds, is anything but loneliness. In his masterpiece, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster says this, that loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment by learning to be alone with God. So silence and solitude, friends, is when you turn down the internal, external voices that you can spend time alone with God and your own soul. How often are we practicing this rhythm in our world? My hope would be that we'd be a people who learn to practice it regularly, regularly, because there's a warfare going on for our very souls, friends. And you can't defeat them by force, disorient them, distract them and overwhelm them with noise. Because I believe there are things that God wants to say to some of us that we're missing because we're too busy listening to everything but him. A great story of Martin Luther King, one of my favorite heroes throughout history. In the Montgomery bus boycotts when the race segregation was at its worst in America in the 1950s, there was this moment when he'd been arrested for leading the peaceful protest of avoiding the Montgomery buses. And he comes out of his first stint in jail, discouraged and and kind of disillusioned and not sure if he wanted to become who everyone was calling him to be, this civil rights leader. He goes home and Coretta, his wife, and his daughter are are in bed. And so he goes and he sits alone in a kitchen. And most biographers acknowledge this moment happened. And he starts to pray by himself. And in that moment, he hears this voice of God say to him, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. The biographer David Garrow says this, that this was the most important night of his life. And it was in silence and solitude that he could turn everything down so that the voice of God might be turned up. Friends, how noisy is your world? What stops us from chasing silence and solitude? I ultimately think it's three things. The first one is time. Many of us are like, I just don't have time for this, Michael. I don't have time for science and solitude. And friends, I don't want to go too far into this, but a really practical truth is this we have time for whatever we prioritize. You have time for social media because you take it with you to the toilet. We have time for whatever we prioritize. We have time for whatever we prioritize. The second thing is that we're afraid. I don't want to be alone because you don't know what I'm like deep down. I want to be distracted from that. Friends, I get that. The truth to Christianity is that every single person here is broken. We all have a darkness in our souls. But let me tell you the truth. That darkness doesn't get any better unless we expose it to the light of Jesus. And when we're alone, we don't ever walk into our darkness by ourselves. But the Bible promises us there is a good shepherd that walks into it with us. Because he is not afraid of what he went to the cross to conquer. And in that moment, when we start to see the ugly truth of who we are, we walk with Christ, the shepherd who knows how to solve the problem. But we can't become like him if we continue to ignore the parts of our souls that are very, very far from him. We, can't, we don't have to be afraid when the shepherd is with us. And finally, we don't do this because we're distracted. I find it interesting that when I go to spend time with God, things I usually hate doing become unbelievably attractive you know what I mean? I'm going to go read my Bible. Or I could fold the clothes. I hate folding the clothes. And suddenly you are like, I love folding on the pants, man. This is the best thing ever. And I realize it's spiritual warfare, friends. The devil doesn't have to come at you with some scary spiritual force. If all he has to do is go, look over there. Like, oh, that's interesting. Distraction is the most powerful tool. And this is why watching paint dry can sometimes be more attractive than worshipping God for five minutes. Because there is power in one and emptiness in the other. Friends, do not be distracted. Be aware of the spiritual warfare that is going on for your souls. This guy named Andrew Sullivan wrote an op-ed piece. This is a long quote, but so illustrative of what's going on in the Western church today. He wrote this for the New York Times. He says, Modernity has slowly weakened spirituality by design and accident in favour of commerce. It downplayed silence and mere being in favour of noise and constant action. The reason we live in a culture of increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. This quote's in The Ruthless Elimination of Hyrule. You're like, oh my gosh, this, wow. If the church has come to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. A frazzled digital generation. Friends, are you frazzled? Are you struggling? The thing I love, if your answer is yes, (laughs) the gospel of Jesus is still true to us. You know what he says? Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you another screen to look at. Now he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy it is light. And what does he promise? He says, come and learn from me. Come learn from me. The message translation says this. Come, let me teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. Too long we talk about the Bible and prayer and going to church as if it's a religious duty. Friends, it's protection against the world which wants to make us in the likeness of ugly things. When Jesus wants to call us to become who he created us to be. It's the edge of the stage right there. Sorry, I almost fell off. That's a mental note. So what do we do? What do we do when we need to realise that if all the enemy has to do when it can't defeat us with force is distract us long enough that we stop noticing the absence of God in our life and we think we're okay, what do we do? We fight back with the spiritual disciplines and rhythms of Jesus. So let's talk about what it looks practically to have silence and solitude in our world. I think there are four things. If you're taking notes, these would be the four things I would encourage to begin practicing would be this. The first thing is this schedule your time with God. Now, when we go, oh, my time with God's all the time, what we're really saying is, I can't be bothered. See, friends, Corey Ten Boom says it like this Make an appointment with God and keep it. My world's too distracting for me to not feel God, put God in my calendar. So I schedule. 5 a.m. every morning, I roll out of bed, sometimes not willingly. And I go put myself, do an AeroPress coffee. It's a beautiful form of a coffee. And I go and I sit out on my veranda and I open my word. And friends, sometimes I'm reading the Bible and I've got to tell you, it is not fireworks. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? But here's what I know. What I'm doing right then is I'm in a rhythm Knowing that if I'm not filling my mind with truth, I'm distracted by lies. So I just sit in and go, God, just speak to me here. I schedule it in. And I fill the time. I grab my Bible, which is not a phone, for a very important reason. And I open it and I read. And sometimes I hear the voice of God. Sometimes I fall back asleep. Can I just say that? Is that okay? But it's a rhythm. And then there's moments when, when, when I feel it and, and I actually, I, I then have to, I want to write something in response. Guys, I don't have a great attention span. I've got the attention span of a rock. Rocks don't have attention spans. So if I'm not careful, I'm like, oh, there's a bird. Sometimes my son is with me and then, you know, Arch is like, duh, and I'm like, yeah, duh, It's amazing. And so I've got to actually discipline myself. So I write stuff down. I write down a verse that stood out to me. Or sometimes I'm like, you know, Jesus, nothing grabbed me today. But I write a prayer and I just journal. I just say, guys, what's going on for me in my life? I pray for some of you. I pray for our church. And I write and I write and I write. Why? Because I'm not good enough just to sit there like this. I'm I'm not that strong. But I've got to have my attention channeled. And then you know what I do, friends? Sometimes I hear the voice of God. Sometimes I hear Him through His Word, through music. Sometimes I don't. But I guarantee you, every time I do hear God speak, it's not because I've just done this once in a blue moon. It's because it's a practice. It's a practice. And 30 days of rhythm is worth one day of clarity with Jesus. And I recognize that not only do I schedule it, not only do I fill it, not only do I practice it. And this will be my last recommendation for you all. I just give it whatever I have. And sometimes that's two minutes. Sometimes it's all I got before Archer's just going nuts and he's my 16-month-old son, in case you're wondering. Or sometimes it's, you know, I, I, I'm, I woke up late and I'm on my way in the car and I just turn everything off. And I'm like, Jesus, I need you right now. Just come sit with me. Let's talk together. Friends, it's not about, well, how much time is it, Michael, before, you know, I'm good enough? No, no, no you, got, you asked them the wrong question. Give what you've got. Give what you've got. Trust me, it'll be so sweet, it'll get longer. It'll become more constant. My prayer is, friends, that we would be a church that become enraptured with the presence of Jesus. Because here's the truth, the world is shouting for our attention, but the good shepherd is willing and longing to whisper his affection. Have you heard his voice? So what we're going to do to finish today is we're just going to finish with some silence. Now, some of you are like, are we going to stand and sing? Because I usually leave during that moment. Is that? My ask is this, if you can, if you don't have anything to rush to, would you just wait for us just for a moment? Just for a couple of minutes, we're just going to sit together and we're going to try and turn down the noise of the world and turn up the voice of God. Now some of you are going to be here for the first time today and you're like, I don't know if I'm in for this. No one's going to know what's going on for you. We're just going to sit. No one's going to ask you and be like, do you hear anything? That's, I'm just going to chill. And for those of you who are like, I don't know how to be still. I want to teach you a practice of being still. This is not solitude. This will just be silence. But a practice of being silent and still that I was taught by my mentor, George Matheson. I want to teach you what it means for someone who has anxious thoughts to still my internal noise. So to do that, I just love, I just want you just close your eyes with me. And as we close our eyes and we're just still, and you feel the distraction of, oh, I've got to get the kids, and we've got birthday parties and groceries and, and work tomorrow, and, and that starts to rise up, just... Any anxiety, this is how I answer it. I, I just I, I just start breathing. And to breathe, I, I say some things. I, I thank God. I say, thank you, Jesus. And I take a deep breath in. So do this with me. Thank you, Jesus. Deep breath. And I just choose an attribute I want to celebrate. And I say, I say that. For your love. And I breathe out. And I do it, and I do it, and I do it over and over again until the noise starts to quiet down. So thank you, Jesus. For your love. Thank you, Jesus. For your love. If you want to just continue that breathing, you can. But in this moment, we're just going to be still. And you're going to hear babies cry and kids talk. That's okay. That's fine. This isn't complete silence, but it will be stillness. Father, in the silence, we wait for you. What are you saying? May we know your peace. Be still and know that I am God. Let's do that together. And to finish the service today, I'm just going to ask you to remain in this moment. Joshi Kappa, worship leader, is going to just come out and he's going to sing a song. And you don't have to do anything but sit. You can stay with your eyes closed. And let these words wash over you. Don't rush from this. Don't run from it. There's beauty here right now.